This is the Be Undomesticated Podcast. Welcome back to the Be Undomesticated Podcast. I am your host, Cody. Today is Sunday, March 5th, 2023, and this is episode number nine. The title of this episode is They Forgot What It's Like to Be Free Cows, which will make more sense when we get to that later. Um, I do apologize for how late this episode is coming out. It was supposed to come out last week, and unfortunately, I had a bunch of technical issues with my microphones and with Audacity and all sorts of problems neither here nor there i do apologize again and we will try to be sticking to a much more strict schedule moving forward um today's episode is going to be the more segmented version of the show like we talked about last week um so we have several different segments going and then i'm actually going to change it up a little bit from what we did last time i have another segment that i'm going to do towards the end of this episode that is more opinion based than anything it's not necessarily teaching anything it's just me going to kind of get in my soapbox and spout off for a little while about it. So let me know what you guys think of this one. Um, it's something new for me. I'm not used, used to getting on here and really going into my opinion on something, but we're going to try something different this time around and see what you guys think of it. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and briefly touch on the things we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to have our farmstead features, talking about everything we have going on. We have our business segment, talking about my microgreen quail egg business. Uh, we're going to go into our content creation stuff real quick. We're going to talk about what we've been eating this past week. That was a lot of fun. We had a lot of awesome recipes, so I can't wait to get into that with you guys. Um, some new things that I've been listening to and more inspiring stuff that I've been listening to here recently. Things that will kind of kick you in the butt and get you moving. Um, recap of what we did last week got the upcoming week's to-do list. A couple of new segments for this week. We're going to be covering this week in history. So it's not necessarily this day in history, but things that have happened within this past week. So that's exciting. we got a couple of really impactful things that have happened in history this past week. So we're going to go into some of those. Uh, we're going to talk about some news headlines that have been going on. And we have our floral focus. And then, like I said, we're going to get into... They have forgot what it's like to be free cows. So do stick with me. I hope that you guys enjoy this one. I will say that the inspirational part of it is going to be R-rated language. So when we get to that part, I'll let you know. Give you plenty of warning if you don't want to hear that kind of stuff. Or if you feel the need to completely tune this episode out because of that, I guess I understand. Um, but yeah, that's it's actually tied into into what we're going to be talking about. So those who listen to it will understand. And those who don't, I believe, will actually be missing out. But it'll be what it will be. So let's go ahead and dive right on into the farmstead features. This is where we talk about all the things that have been going on around our little homestead here. Um, things that we're looking forward to and all that. So our baby quails have been doing okay. They've been growing really good, which is great. We had a lower hatch rate than we're used to getting. Um, I tried someone new. I tried Southwest Game Birds this time. Normally we go through my shire, but my shire wasn't really sure if they're going to be able to get me my eggs in time for what I want to do with them. So we tried out Southwest Game Birds. Like I said, hatch rate wasn't quite there. I felt like the eggs might have been a little bit older than what I'm accustomed to getting from my shire farm. And obviously they're 
older than what I would be hatching from my own farm. So it's not fair to compare them to the eggs that I have here, and I, I don't even do that. You know, my hatch rates that I'm getting out of my own eggs between 65 and 75 percent most of the time. So, but it was 40 to 45 percent hatch rate on the eggs that I got from Southwest. So I was really not too enthusiastic about that. Um, obviously, being in Michigan, we're a little bit further away from Southwest game birds than a lot of their customers probably are, because I believe they're based out of Arizona. So that's one thing that my Shire definitely has on them, for us at least, is that we are closer to my Shire. They're based out of Ohio, so it's very easy. I don't know if Southwest pulls eggs same day like my Shire does. I'm not really sure, but you know, just giving my experience with them, we had a lower hatch rate, unfortunately. Uh, we have had quite a few die off once they were hatched. I think we've lost between five and seven, which that's not Southwest Game Bird's fault. I'm sure that's something I did wrong, whether it was the brooder was overcrowded or what have you, you know, too hot, too cold, not enough water, too much water. We had one that drowned itself, which I thought I was safe in taking the little quail water base out, put the full one in there. Apparently I should have waited another day. We are now overrun with eggs, which is wonderful. Our chickens have started laying again. Our ducks have started laying again. We're getting more and more quail eggs every day, which is awesome. I uh, was able to get in and get the chicken coop cleaned out, which is fantastic because it was pretty nasty in there by the time I finally got to it. But it's cleaned out now. Got fresh chips down in there. I put some fresh chips down in our duck coop, which is good. They were getting a little slimy in there, so I'd like to get some fresh ones in there and give them somewhere to kind of nest down because we did get those Muscovies. So we're hoping that they will lay and then lay on the nest and hopefully hatch us out some baby ducklings. It's been a lot warmer here, thankfully. Finally, finally, finally. So we got some really nice days, and then a couple of days ago, we were actually forecasted up to a foot of snow, which was supposed to come in about a 12-hour span. We ended up getting only about three inches, but the further south of us you went, the more snow you got. There is that. But then the next day, it actually warmed up to 45 degrees and melted almost all of the snow off. So that's really nice, and it's 45-ish probably out there right now. So it is a beautiful, nice, and sunny day here in the great state of Michigan. So we are loving that. Let's see, what else did we do on the homestead this week? We started all of our cider that I've been talking about wanting to get started. And actually this morning I was able to finish starting our mead batches that I wanted to get going. Quite often when I do mead batches, I'll do several different varieties of mead. This time I didn't. I did seven gallons of the Four Flowers blend. The only thing that I changed up is one of the gallons actually has an extra pound of honey in it because I didn't want to just save one pound of honey. So I have one batch that has four pounds of honey. I'm hoping that doesn't have a negative effect on it and actually really hinder the fermentation because once you get to a certain level of honey, it can actually stop the fermentation or really make it much more difficult for your yeast to do their job. So I'm hoping I haven't pushed that threshold too far with the extra pound of honey, but only time's gonna really tell for that. So that's really good. All the ones, I started three gallons of it last night and I started the other three, four gallons today. And the three from last night were bubbling away like crazy when I got up this morning. So that was really good to see. Hopefully it'll continue on. All right. So moving on to our business section. Like I said, we were forecasted to get that huge storm. That was actually supposed to come in Friday afternoon evening. So unfortunately, we had to make a judgment call and cancel our farmer's market for this past weekend. Um, I hate to do that, but 
could have been a safety issue depending on how much snow we ended up getting. And I didn't want to have people getting injured trying to get to our market. I didn't want our vendors to feel like they had to push themselves to be in danger to come to our market. So we made the judgment call, canceled the market. For a lot of our vendors, that's not really a big deal to have lost that market because their product is something that stores, you know, soaps and that kind of stuff or something you can just kind of hold on to for the next week. For myself, for our baker, for any of our candy makers, any of those people, it's a much bigger deal. Obviously, I'm two weeks out on creating my microgreens, growing those. So I have a whole bunch of product now that's not going to market. Unfortunately, because of the schedule that I have this upcoming week, which is absolute craziness, I'm not going to have time to even take those to restaurants and try to get that part of it going. So what I think I'm going to actually do is we have a Bible study this afternoon with our church. So I'm going to cut and take a whole bunch of them there and give them away to people and just pretty much give away microgreens to everybody I meet in hopes that maybe it'll drum up some interest and support later on. If not, it is what it is. I can't personally eat eight trays of microgreens, so you got to do something with them. And I'd rather give them away to people than just throw them in the compost or feed them to the birds. So unfortunately, you know, we did lose out on that income stream for this week. But better safe than sorry and not have people getting hurt. If you remember, I had the Nordic Fire Festival last weekend that my mother-in-law was at. And I had done a whole bunch of woodworking stuff to get to her to be able to actually have at their booth at this festival. So it's really, it's a neat place to go to if you're ever in Michigan in February, late February, early March, whenever it's happening. Really look it up. It's a cool thing. You know, they have five or six giant tents that they put up whole bunch of vendors they do a mead hall where you have a bunch of different meaderies and cideries and all sorts of things going on so i really recommend it It was a cool experience unfortunately that did not translate into my product selling which was really disheartening because i had actually made a lot of that product specifically with that festival in mind so it had you know the nordic runes on it and that kind of thing, you know, mentioning Valhalla and Skal and all sorts of stuff. So it was really disheartening to not have that income stream coming in from it. But it just, it is what it is. Sometimes, you know, you don't get what you're expecting out of things. So I'm really glad that I didn't spend a couple hundred dollars to get my own booth there. That would have been much, much worse. I was glad I was able to kind of dip a toe in that pool and see what the interest was going to be prior to really putting the money into it. So I'm only... I'm not even really out anything. I was going to say I'm only out the product. But, I mean, the product's up on our Etsy store. Hopefully some of it will sell there. Maybe some of it won't. Not a big deal. It's not going to go bad. And so I can actually display a lot of that, a lot of that at my markets throughout this summer. So that was that part of the business. Outside of that, not a whole lot else going on. My wife and I filmed our quail video. So if you're following us on our Heartland Farms youtube channel that should be going up here pretty soon she's got to get the editing done on it um started doing research for next week's show i haven't narrowed it down i have two different ideas that i'm going through but i haven't narrowed it down completely so i'm not going to let the cat out of the bag on that quite yet i wrote the outline for my mead class and started breaking down those sections so i've got about two-thirds of my mead making class that i want to put on figured out ready to go then Jack Spearco did a podcast Friday recommending that everybody teach everybody how to make mead. So now I really have got to get it going before everybody else gets their class figured out. There is a gentleman who does a mead making class. He's quite a ways north of me, 
but he seems to have really good success with it, really good draw. Um, obviously, he has built his name over the years, and I haven't had that opportunity yet, but I think that will be a way that I can make a little bit of extra income, and every little bit will help. That brings us to what have we been eating. So, Monday, we did a apple onion pork loin, which was delicious. So, that was actually fairly easy. All I did was take the pork loin, brown it up on all sides, threw it in a crock pot, then I chopped up, rough chopped up some onion and a couple of apples and sauteed those up for a little while so they all got a little bit squishy not not crazy but you know they were starting to get down there threw them on top of it dug out an old jar of apple butter from a couple of years ago poured that on top of it and a whole bunch of other spices cinnamon brown sugar oh it was good stuff threw it in the crock pot for eight hours and it was absolutely tender 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 so good um I think if I was to do that again, I want to drill in on a more specific side dish to it. We ended up just doing mashed potatoes because that's my go-to, and it was a go-to for every single meal this week. But I want to kind of start to try to figure out different side dishes that are more catered to each of the meals that we're doing. So look forward to trying to figure that stuff out for the future. But Tuesday, we actually did braised short rib. So we actually got a half a cow last summer. And we have been eating a ton of beef. So we're getting down to the nitty gritty of the cuts left in the in the freezer. Shorb is a type of cut that we've never really messed with before. So it wasn't something we were comfortable cooking up. So it sat there for a while. And finally, you know, I I was looking through the freezer. I was like, you know, we really got to use these up. So I dug them out and really glad that I did. It was very, very tasty. Those, again, same thing. I browned them up on all sides did a uh, like a dry rub with a lot of salt and all sorts of different spices and stuff on it it was amazing again with an onion threw that in sauteed it up put it in there with it and then a whole lot of red wine and some sherry and just put it in the oven i did it for two hours in the future if i was to do this again which i will i'm going to go for at least three my only complaint with it was that it wasn't very tender And I think that the longer that I had let that cook, the more tender it would have gotten. So definitely want to cook it longer, but it was dinner time and we were hungry. So we pulled it out. It was even better the next day, honestly. Just brought out and reheated. Oh man, it it had a really, really good flavor to it. So I highly recommend that. And again, mashed potatoes went with everything this week. We also did canned green beans. So that was good. You know, green beans are one of the few things that we canned out of our garden last year. So this coming year, we're looking forward to trying to can many more different types of items. So that way, we have a variety. We're not trying to eat just green beans, or we're not buying canned corn, for instance. That's something we've had to do a couple of times this year now, is just go to the store and get canned corn, because we want a variety in our diet. Our third and final meal that we did this week was a kind of a half-assed cocovin. So for those who do not know, cocovin is a way of cooking a chicken up. It's French, I believe. And it's a lot of times used with older hens or with roosters that are tougher. I used it with one of our Cornish crossbirds that we raised last year. We're not huge fans of the flavor that we got out of them. But with the Coca Vin, it number one, it tenderizes it. And number two, it imparts a lot of amazing flavors into that meat. So I was able to do that really easy. You just cut up your chicken. So you debreast it, cut the legs, cut the thighs, cut the wings off. Once you've done that, you're going to apply a 
pretty good layer of salt and all your spices and everything to it. Let it sit for a little while. Then you're going to go ahead and throw it in a pan, brown it up, put it in a like a uh, baking pan. Or if you have a cast iron, you're comfortable using cast iron, you can do this all in one step in a cast iron. I don't really enjoy cooking with our cast iron, so I use traditional pans, pots, all that. So brown up your chicken, throw it in the pan. You're going to rough chop carrots, mushrooms, and onion. You're going to mince up a couple cloves of garlic. You're going to throw all that in the pan again, and you're going to deglaze with a little bit of wine. Go ahead and brown all that up. It's going to impart all that delicious chickeny flavor to your veggies. Then you're going to put quite a bit more wine in and some sherry and bring that up to where it's just starting to boil. Pour it over your chicken and throw it in the oven for hour and a half to two hours. It's going to take a while. It's a real low temp thing. Look it up. I believe it's 250 degrees. So you're just going to have it in there for a long time and time really is the name of the game on that. I'm sure there's probably a crock pot recipe out there somewhere for it. But I ended up doing it in the stove, and it turned out amazing. Um, again, with this one, we had mashed potatoes. That was kind of our theme for the week was mashed potatoes, and then everything else was the star of the dish. That being said, I will say, when I do mashed potatoes, I'll take an onion and cut it up real fine and saute that up. And so that goes into my mashed potatoes, and that kind of adds a little bit more flavor to it. I would also add make sure you cook those onions down fairly well i did some last night and the onions were still crunchy and that's not really the texture that you're going for with your mashed potatoes but you know it is what it is and that was our week with cooking we had a ton of leftovers from all of that so it has lasted us through even to sunday next segment which is going to be a much shorter segment is just kind of what i've been listening to obviously the usuals of tspc of lftn of all of those um a new one that i've kind of discovered this week is new to me at least is bear independent who does a lot more of the conspiratorial news stuff he's more current eventsy but he also does a lot of kick you in the tail and get you moving kind of stuff which has been really good um and it's just kind of a different perspective on things. So I've been enjoying listening to his stuff. And the other podcast that I found this week is called Real AF. I will say that if you do not enjoy coarse language, foul language, I would not recommend either of those to you. Um, Real AF especially uses a lot of F-bombs and such. But, you know, he has a lot of great things to say. Uh, he is an entrepreneur, runs several businesses and is very successful at it. So listening to him talk and kind of his perspective on things, I think is a really good thing to listen to. And honestly, I don't have any problem with foul language. So it'll be what it'll be. Speaking of foul language, this is your warning. If you do not want to hear the F-bomb, tune out. We're getting into our inspirational message. And the inspirational message of the day is from Baron Dependent. And I don't know if he coined this term or coin this phrase, or if he's ripping it off from somebody else, but I'm going to give him credit for it because I heard it from him first. And that message is, fuck busy, be effective. Don't be running around doing all these things like, oh my gosh, I got so much stuff done. If it's all piddly crap that doesn't actually amount to anything, it's not effective. So be effective, use your time efficiently, and yeah, 
I mean, I think that pretty much speaks for itself. That was something that I heard him talk about on one of his videos that really kind of stuck with me. So I wanted to pass that along to you. All right, next up is our recap slash to-do. So last week from the to-do list, I did not get to trying to repair my plumbing. That just did not happen. Uh, the other thing that I did not get to is cleaning my quail cages. That is top priority for this coming week because they're getting gross and they need to be done. I did get the coop done, so that's good. Um, let's see here. From this past week, I got my planting schedule all figured out. I got my mead class, like I said, about two-thirds done. To-do list of this upcoming week, we got to get our peppers and our onions started. We got to clean out the quail cages. We really need to get into that plumbing. And I got to wrap up the mead class and get the advertisement stuff going for the mead class. It's going to be a very busy week for me. I have a ton of farmer's market managerial stuff I've got to do. I have church meetings. I have all sorts of stuff going on this week. So it's going to be very, very busy. But it's good. It should keep me out of trouble, hopefully, that way. That brings us up to our new segment for the week. And that is This Week in History. So we're going to kind of start with the oldest one and work our way forward. Uh, 1836 this week, Colt patented the first revolving cylinder revolver. So that's pretty exciting stuff. In 1870 this week, Hiram Revels was the first black member of Congress to be sworn in. He was a representative of Mississippi, which I thought was really interesting that the first black member of Congress actually came out of Mississippi. That seems very surprising to me. Um, but it is what it is. That's awesome. So, let's see. That brings us to 1991. The Rodney King beatings happened at, out in L.A. So, not all sunshine and rainbows, that's for sure. 1993, the Waco siege-slash-shootout started this week with the deaths of several ATF members and several of the Branch Davidians. And in 2018, just a fun one, China banned the letter N for a short period of time. So that is This Week in History. That brings us up to In the News. Train derailments and train crashes are everywhere this week in the news. Uh, we had a train derail in Florida with 3,000 gallons, excuse me, 30,000 gallons of propane on board. Thankfully, no leaks. They don't really know, at least time of recording, what the derailment was caused by, but is what it is. Uh, there was another train that derailed in Springfield, Ohio. Thankfully, there wasn't any hazardous material on that one. And tragically, there was a terrible, terrible train crash in Greece that occurred this week. Unfortunately, there was 36 people who died in that one, another 85 that were hurt. Um, again, no cause has been given for that one, but there was an arrest made of a station master, so don't really know what's going on with that, but thoughts and prayers go out to them for sure. Um, there was a 17-year-old student in Florida, I believe, who was arrested and is being tried as an adult for beating the crap out of his teacher because she took his Nintendo Switch away. This kid's 17. He's like six foot five, and he's beating the shit out of this person because they took his Nintendo away from him. He had been arrested three times previously for assault and battery. And 
while there was people around, while this kid is beating the shit out of them, they watched him. They stood there and recorded him on their cell phone. No one tried to help her. No one. They just watched. Like, what on earth is wrong with America that we're more than happy to get our cell phone out and record this guy kicking the shit out of somebody laying on the ground, but we can't step in and try to help with anything? Like, this is absolutely ridiculous. That kind of shit really pisses me off when people do that. So, next time you see something happening, do something about it. Don't get your cell phone out. Step in. Try to help. Alright, mini rant is over. We're going to move on for a moment to a more calm um, topic until we get into our main topic and then I'm going to get wound up again, but that's okay. So our flora focus of the week. These are things that we are going to be growing in our garden this year, which I'm super excited about. This week's focus is on onions. So we have always done onion sets in the past. For those of you who are unaware, onion sets are when you buy teeny teeny tiny little onions in bags from your local distributor and you just put those in the ground and grow them like that onions are a biannual so the first year what they do is they try to grow as big as they can and then they stop and then the next year they actually use that that energy stored to create the seeds so what you're doing essentially is buying teeny tiny little onions that are already done with their first year and the second year they're going to go to seed that's when you're planting them in the ground so we actually this year went and bought onion seed. So we are starting with onion seeds and going to grow our own from seed. Never done it before. We've always got the onion sets, which you'll get a medium-sized onion out of an onion set. But for trying to get the really big onions, I've been told that you got to do it from seed. So that's what we're going to try this year. So we went with two different types of onions this year that we're going to try growing from seed. The first is a red Weathersfield onion. Um, we really enjoy red onions. For cooking with and we do a lot of pickled onions for putting on pretty much every type of dish you can think of we do a lot of Mexican food where we throw the on red onion in so we, we use quite a bit of red onion and then we're also going to be doing a sweet onion which is the Globo completely new for us uh, we don't do a lot of cooking with sweet onions but I'm excited to try those out maybe in place of the white onions that I traditionally been using and see what kind of flavor profile it brings Anything will be better if we're able to supply it ourselves. So I'll be happy with that. We use a lot of onion around here. So I'm excited to be able to hopefully grow a lot. That's probably our most expensive produce item that we buy throughout the year is onion. So hopefully this will help cut down on that quite a bit. Packages of onion seed are quite a bit cheaper than all the onions. So hopefully that'll help us. All right. Through the magic of podcasting, you guys don't necessarily know this. But it is about eight hours later. I had yet more technical difficulties with more things dying on me. But we are going to finish this podcast tonight, come hell or high water. So let's go ahead and dive right on in to our final segment. And the title of this segment is They Have Forgot What It's Like to Be Free Cows. For those of you who don't know, there is a TV show on Amazon Prime called Clarkson's Farm. Really recommend it. It's hilarious. If you enjoy watching anything farm-related, it's a really good time. But the focus of season two, which came out a couple weeks ago, is the main character, Jeremy Clarkson, is trying to open a restaurant slash brewery on his property and all the struggles that he's going through with the local government trying to get this stuff going. And so, spoiler alert, you know, he gets turned down by 
his local area's planning commission, essentially, and is told that he can't do this stuff because it'll ruin the night sky and all this other whiny bullshit. But he, so he gets done doing that, and then he goes out. The next scene is actually him releasing his cows back on the pasture for the winter. And as they're jumping around and going all wild and crazy, the main character, Jeremy, says something along the lines of, they have forgotten what it's like to be free cows. And the irony of that statement really hit me after he literally has just gone through all these hoops trying to get things ready to go for his restaurant, for this brewery, and just gets completely crapped on by his local government. And my initial thought was, oh, well, you know, I'm so glad that I live in America. I wouldn't have to deal with all of that. And I was like, you know, I really don't know what I would have to do living in America to try to deal with that. So I, I did a little digging, and this is going to be a real fun one for the uninitiated. I'm not a huge fan of government, and that will probably become apparent throughout this this episode. So let's go ahead and dive on into some of the things that are required for trying to do a restaurant or a meadery, because I make meat, here in the great state of Michigan. So we'll start out right out the gate just talking about the restaurant side of it. Now, the restaurant side of it is a lot more difficult to find what licenses you actually have to attain in order to have your restaurant, but I was able to find some. The booklet just here for the state of Michigan is 212 pages of food safety stuff that you have to go through. Um, the highlights of it, you have to have a certified food protection manager, which sounds all sorts of official. I'm sure that they get you on uh, getting the training for your manager, but I digress. Uh, you have to get a permit to operate, which means that they've come through and inspected all of your facility and all of that. Uh, you can't make anything in your personal residence, which, I mean, it, it makes sense. However, I know that there's a lot of Amish around me who have quote-unquote restaurants that they operate every once in a while out of their homes, and it's out of their home. So you can bet that's getting made in their house. Um, the really big thing to me, though, was 212 pages to tell people that if you have a runny nose, go home and don't keep your food underneath your Lukey's leaky sewer pipe like this stuff seems pretty self-explanatory pretty easy to figure out on your own i don't know why we have to have these regulations in place this is a whole lot of red tape the amount of money that's gone into building these regulations must be ungodly let's just go with that now the real fun starts when you go into trying to figure out what it's going to take to open any sort of establishment that sells and makes its own alcohol so this is we're just going to burn through real quick the list of permits required in order to have your own um, adult beverage establishment, shall we say. So you have to get a Sunday sale permit. That is not a permit to sell at times where it's illegal to sell alcohol. That is just a permit to sell from, I think it's 7 a.m. or noon on. So you're not getting anything special. That's just to keep you up with the Joneses. If you want to use that facility for anything whatsoever, you have to have a special purpose permit. If you want to have any sort of dancing occur at your establishment, you have to have a dance permit. I'm not really sure if there's dance police that are going to come in and crack you outside the head if you don't have your dance permit on display and you have people that happen to be dancing, but there is a permit for that. 
goes right along with that dance permit, there's an entertainment permit. So if you want to have, say, any sort of music whatsoever playing at your adult establishment, you have to have an entertainment permit. An extended hours permit. This is just so you can open before you're legally allowed to serve beer. So if you want to have food and beer, you have to have an extended hours permit. Let's see here. What else? What else? There's a beer and wine tasting permit. So let's say you don't want to necessarily always be selling. You want to be able to have people there and they can just enjoy a nice wine tasting. There's a permit for that, of course. There's a living quarters permit, so say I wanted to open a, an establishment that is attached to my house, completely different set of permitting that has to go through that. There is a direct connection permit, so you want to open your small meadery, and the best, most affordable place you can find is in a old strip mall, which I know for a fact there is one not too far away from here that I have actually gone to. You have to have a permit, and inspections have to happen of everything going on around you in order to be able to do that. But let's say you have just your nice little meadery and you want to be able to have a couple picnic tables where you're able to serve your alcohol. Don't worry. There is an outdoor service permit that will allow you, allow you to sell alcohol on your own patio. That's just a list of Michigan specific things. I kind of got sick and disgusted after I read all of that. So I didn't go and do any digging to see if there's other federal regulations that go into it. I'm sure with making your own alcohol, there's more that goes into that, brings the ATF and things into it. Quite frankly, I, I was disheartened reading that and realized that we weren't a whole lot better off than our brothers from another mother over in the great state of Britannia. So, unfortunately, we had that. But then, you know, I do have a background in construction and building, so I was like, you know what, let's, let's do a little digging on some building permits, just, just for funsies, you know. So... This is for Emmett Township, which is not too far away from my house. These are some of the things that you have to get, have to, quote-unquote, have to get a permit for. Any shed that is larger than 200 square feet. Any ag buildings whatsoever. If you want to build a deck or redo your deck, there's a permit for that. You want to tear the siding off your house and replace it with new siding, there's a permit for that. You want to tear the old, nasty, disgusting, worn-out shingles off your roof, put new ones on. Don't worry, they have a permit for you. You want to put a remodel on your house. This is not tearing anything structural out of the house. Just a remodel. There's a permit for that. If you would like to take your basement and add a wall going down your basement, like in the middle of it, to make separate rooms, they will permit you for that. And at the bottom of this list of permits, they had a quote here. If in doubt, it is always advised that you check with your building department. Hmm. Now, I wonder... Do all these permits come free, or do you think maybe they might be extorting a bit of money out of you for each of these permits? At one point, reading through all this stuff, I had seen something saying, you know, check with your local zoning, or check what zone you're in, that kind of thing. So I was like, you know what? Out of curiosity, I wonder what zone I actually am in. I assume agriculture just because of where I'm located, but you never know. Just to get the zoning handbook for the state of Michigan, you actually have to give your personal information. A little weird, not sure why they have to require that. You don't actually have to give anything. You could throw whatever you want in there and put in a fake email, which I'm not saying I did, but I will tell you it works. But just the fact that you have to do that in order to get a handbook that doesn't actually tell you how to figure out what zone you're in is a little distressing. The county and zoning ordinance book for the county that I am in, which is Barry County, 
I'm on the Barry County Eaton County border. The county permit ordinance book is 325 pages long. It's 325 pages telling you what you can and cannot do with your own property. Like, 325 pages! What on earth? Who got paid three years of salary to write this dribble? Like, absolute insanity! Here I am, thinking we're in the great old U.S. of A, and that we are going to be much more free than, you know, the people over in Britain and the U.K. who are dealing with all this stuff going on, that I've been watching through this television show doing this stuff. And, I mean, obviously, it's pretty easy to figure out that it's going on. It's logical because it's kind of a crackdown state over there with a lot of things. And I was like, oh, you know, I should do the digging. This is a bad idea. Now I'm very disheartened with what I see around me. Like, this is not the land of the free and the undomesticated. This is the very much domesticated folks that we're dealing with at this point. And people don't even bat an eye at it. It's something that we just all go along with to get along. Like, at what point do you start questioning the madness that a 325-page book tells you what you can and can't do with your own property? This is absolute insanity. Now, me, being a person who is trying to figure out ways to operate if there was no state, so, you know, because I am anti fairly anti-government, like I said, you know, trying to think of ways that things could actually work this way. And one thing that I came up with, which I absolutely hate in the current state that they are, but that could work outside of that system, would be a homeowner's association. You want to be able to own property here? This is the list of rules that you have to agree to in order to own property here. That is agreed upon by the people in that community. It's much more community-driven, neighborhood-driven. It's not something that is deemed to you by your state county officials. It's somebody that your neighbor and you have to work out. It's something that your neighbor and you have to work out. So that makes way more sense to me than this set-in-stone book that is absolute craziness. You have to have a degree to be able to figure this shit out. Going down that same rabbit hole of trying to figure out ways to make this happen without the state. Let's talk about building permits, building codes, things of that nature. If I build a house that was going to fall on people and kill them, then number one, you're going to get a very bad name in the industry. Number two, when people purchase homes, there's actually inspections that happen that would find such issues. You're not going to sneak a fast one in there and not put floor joists in. You're not going to be able to do these things that just cause so much danger and destruction without it actually being caught. And it's not like we everybody flies blind without permits as it is now. Permits are required for almost all mortgages at this point. Or, excuse me, not permits, inspections are required for almost all mortgages at this point. It's absolute craziness that on top of all of that, there's another way that the government's going to try to sponge a little bit more money off you in order to put a deck top on. like. Seriously, I want to build a 20 foot by 11 foot shed. I now have to pull a permit. Like, what is this craziness? I want to build a building for my chickens to live in. I have to pull a permit. Like, you can't house your own freaking chickens without a permit at this point in Emmett Township. Same goes with restaurants and with brewing your own alcohol. If your food is killing people, is making people sick, you're going to get run out of town. That's just how it goes. That word of mouth is huge in the food industry, in all industries. If you get a bad reputation, especially in a small town, you're done. You're toast. 
Like, you have to move and start over somewhere else because you're not going to be able to rebuild that where you sit. What on earth is the necessity of having that? There's the, the craziness, the amount of money that they extort out of you to try to do anything in the land of the free and the home of the brave is absolute craziness. All right, done with my rant. I'll climb down off my soapbox. Thank you for bearing with me throughout that. I was a little... Obviously, I went down a rabbit hole this morning looking into all this stuff, and it got me real fired up looking at it. And so I do appreciate you guys going with me. And like I said at the beginning, I would like feedback on this type of segment if you guys want to hear more about my opinion and listen to me bitch and piss and moan about the government and all sorts of fun stuff. Let me know. That would be fantastic. Or if you don't, you'd rather hear, you know, homestead stuff or entrepreneurial stuff, that kind of thing. Let me know. All right, that's going to bring us to our quote of the day. Today's quote is from Benjamin Franklin. It's a very well-known quote, but I think it ties in fairly well with this one, and I'll explain why. After, they who would give up an essential liberty for temporary security deserve neither liberty or security. I think a lot of these permitting issues and coding and zoning issues that I've touched on in this podcast come from people's desire to have temporary security and the security insured to them quote-unquote insured to them by the state and in order to gain that they're willing to give up their liberty (laughs) if you give it up you deserve neither says right there winding down towards the end of the podcast here our bible verse of the day is galatians 5 verse 1 it is for freedom that christ has set us free stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I don't know about you, but giving the state a whole bunch of money in order to have them come tell me that we're allowed to dance at my establishment sounds kind of like a yoke of slavery in a way. But, you know, I'll let you interpret scriptures how you will. With that, we have reached the end of another wonderful episode i thank you all for bearing with me through all of my technical difficulties and the throw off of my schedule here i promise you it will get more um regular as we move forward and like i said i really appreciate it so but thanks again and i'll see you next week thanks for listening and until next time remember be undomesticated